Welcome to another episode of my podcast. What you're about to listen to is a conversation I had with Kim, who is a London-based hospital pharmacist from Malaysia and also a content creator on YouTube. In this episode, we cover what she does as a pharmacist, how it was working through the pandemic in COVID wards, what she does to improve her mental well-being, and also how she deals with certain self-limiting beliefs such as fear of judgment, imposter syndrome, and self-doubt. If you enjoy this podcast, please do a review wherever possible, and I would totally appreciate it if you share it with your friends and family. All right, let's get started. So, Kim, tell me, or tell us, what do you do? Okay, so for those of you that don't know me, um, I am a hospital pharmacist, and a lot of misconceptions about pharmacists in general is that we just dispense medications or we sell medications on high streets. But um, generally for high for hospital pharmacists, I screen prescriptions just to make sure it's as safe as possible for patients. And it also includes the supply of medicines, but at the same time, the administration of medicines, making sure that the nurses are comfortable to give those medicines to those patients. and. I believe as, as pharmacists, I think a lot of people can say that we are the safety net because we are the last line before um, medications are administered to patients. And in that sense, is making sure that we are confident with the work that we're doing. So we're able to give the appropriate like clinical advice to doctors, nurses, anyone on the ward who's on the medical team, just making sure that everyone's comfortable with their role, giving you know the support to everyone who's looking after the public and the community. Yeah, and I think the, the point about the misconception of a pharmacist, mm. and I don't know whether a lot of people actually know what clinical pharmacists do. Uh, I guess yeah. most of the time it's like boots, and that's where, you're, mm. that's where you've seen a pharmacist in the past. But seeing a pharmacist in the hospital, mm. hopefully you know none of you listening actually have to go to the hospital to see a clinical pharmacist, but uh, yeah. that, that is definitely, uh, that is definitely <laughs> what you do. And so even as a medical student, I feel that, uh, I now that I'm on wards more often, I, I do see the pharmacists mm -hmm. around. Uh, and I think, you know, when we actually write prescriptions, um, what is your like level of defense to try to make sure that everything is on board? Because I'm sure that as a medical, not as, yeah. medical, but as a doctor who prescribes medication, mm -hmm. how do you make sure that mm. everything is supposed to be the way it is? So, we, I, I'm not trying to even sound braggy in this, but um, pharmacists are actually no, known should. as like experts of experts of medicines, you know. Yeah. So in our four-year degree, we were trained to have that specific knowledge about doses, the names of drugs, you know, like off our heads, we need, we need to know like common medications that we use. Um, I, I believe like every every year of our degree, we had to learn like the top 25 drugs that is used in the industry. So we were trained to know like the doses, making sure that there's no interactions because most patients now, they have a lot of medical history and a lot of back, clinical background where they're going to be on countless of drugs. So we need to make sure that there's no interactions because of course medicines, when it's used correctly, it's going to be efficient, effective, sorry, and beneficial for patients. But when used in the wrong way, you know, it's going to cause harm. So for us, that's where we come in and when we screen prescriptions, the first thing I always look for is, of course, the legality of it, making sure, you know, there's a signature if it's still paper charts. But I know a lot of hospitals are switching over to electronic prescribing. 
So it's just making sure the legality of it, making sure that doses are right, there's no interaction, and making sure that the medicine specifically is tailored to that patient, because not every medication would suit everyone. So that's what we were taught as well in uni, like patient-tailored care, making sure that we are aware that you know different patients have different backgrounds and how it's going to suit specific populations. So yeah, that's how basic. That's basically how I screen charts. So it's also knowing where to look for the information because we did. Say, I did say that we are the experts of medicines, but it doesn't mean that we know everything. And it's knowing where to look for the information and also telling you guys, you know, medical students or even junior doctors and even consultants, like knowing where to look for the resources because technology is progressing, medicines are progressing and. It's just knowing where to look for the newest and most recent information so that we can get everything right. And, and do you feel that, obviously, yes, I, I would definitely agree that if someone is an expert, mm. it would be you in a ward. But do you ever feel that when you, that have you ever challenged an older consultant who felt that mm. uh, they were right? And at some point, how do you manage yeah. that dynamic between different uh, disciplines, especially since, yeah, clearly, you know, you, you do know mm. your stuff but they also believe they yeah. know their stuff, but they're not the pharmacists. So yeah. how do you handle that? I think there's a very fine line in terms of working with someone who is more senior, like senior consultants. Because I remember back when I was a more junior pharmacist when I first started, you know, I had to be by the book. Everything is like, okay, this is it and that's it. Like there's no, there's no gray area. For me, it was black and white. So I was challenging this uh, Parkinson's consultant. Um, and I just felt like the doses that we were giving were unsafe for the patient just because it's going to cause uh, more side effects because for elderly patients, they're more susceptible to side effects just because of their the way that body works, how they excrete medicines. So I challenged that. And of course, like the consultant said, you know, I run Parkinson's clinic weekly. I know what I'm doing. I appreciate your, uh, your concern and what you have to say about this, but I'm still going with the decision that I've made. And I was like, yeah, it's fine. Um, I'm not going to go against you, but I am just here to advise you otherwise. And I will document everything that we've said, but it doesn't mean that we're going to have a bad professional working relationship after that. It's just that I had to voice my opinion and make sure there's appropriate documentation to say that I've said what I've said. And the, yeah, the consultant was absolutely happy with that she understood where I was coming from, but also because she had more experience in that field, she knew that it would work better for that patient. Yeah. So, and it, yeah. I think with healthcare and with NHS, but healthcare in general, if you really mm -hmm. have a concern, you should say it. Actually, this is yeah. really for anything. Any kind of safety concern, mm -hmm. if you feel like it, you should be able to say it. And I guess a lot of people would be afraid to challenge people that they think have mm -hmm. a certain amount of experience. But if you really believe it, mm. say it, you might get rejected, which you did, exactly. but that's not the point. The point is that you did what you had to do and then you get to document it and mm -hmm. hopefully nothing happens to that patient. But yeah. um, you have to voice it out when you think something is wrong. Exactly. And I think it's very important because as healthcare professionals, we are dealing with human lives, isn't it? So we get a bit more jittery and we need to make sure that everything is 100% correct. There was no leeway and 
And if you do strongly believe that it's going to cause any harm, you know, making sure that's appropriate documentation. And in this case, it wasn't really like the patient was going to absolutely be harmed with this uh, dosing. It was just more of a concern that there is a potential. But if in any case, if it was going to cause absolute patient harm and, you know, if that was a major concern for me, I would have escalated to a more senior member of staff and then we would then discuss it. But yeah, you're right. If Especially when you feel like anything's wrong, just voice it out because chances are you might get rejected, but who knows, they might have missed something that you caught. So Fair enough. And how's it been? How's it been for you working in the last year, especially after March? Mm-hmm. Um, right. How's that been? So the COVID situation, um, of course, that was the first peak. So the first peak, it because I wasn't personally working on the intensive care unit, so I didn't face as much pressure. But I know a lot of the areas of the hospital were um, filled up with patients who were really sick, who need um, immediate and a lot of attention and medical care. For me, the first wave, I think a lot of patients realized that, you know, if they didn't need to come to A&E, they didn't have to come into hospital. So at one point, it was really weird because the hospital was empty. Only like intensive care, respiratory high care, surgical high care, like all those areas that could provide like level two care were completely filled. But all the other wards were sort of empty, which is really weird because we expected, you know, an influx in patients because they were really sick. So the first wave was weird because it was just empty and I got a lot of time to properly um, view my patients and also do like additional postgraduate learning. But slowly patients came back again and with the whole COVID situation, there there weren't a lot of guidelines. I don't know if you know this, like, because, you know, when you were out on the wards, were you on the wards during COVID times as well? No, they gave us a break. Uh, break. I went back home, yeah. So obviously I was watching uh, yeah, it from you... afar. From <laughs> afar. Was going on. And so just keeping up the news. Know. That's just it. That's pretty much how the NHS is keeping up, yeah. 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 So um, for anyone who had experience during COVID situation on COVID wards, because currently I am working on a COVID ward, um, it's no longer a COVID ward because, you know, COVID's dying down now hopefully with the whole vaccine. But um, when I was working on the COVID ward, it was it was a bit terrifying because you would hear about patients having peri-arrest, cardiac arrest, and like husband and wife, they would come into hospital together because both of them would have COVID. And it's actually, it really affects your, your mental well-being because to know that the patient you saw the day before completely fine, sitting upright in their chair, reading the newspaper, Two days later, just died of COVID. And I feel that it, it affected me because I felt like I wouldn't be able to do anything even if I knew it was coming. You know, it's just really sad with the whole COVID situation. And of course, as a pharmacist, I also felt like I provided a lot of uh, useful information and resources to look at for the doctors and the medical team who looked after the patients. Because COVID to us is completely new. You know, when the first wave hit, we didn't know much about it, how it's going to affect humans, how it's going to affect our organs. So knowing where to look for the information on the drugs that we could potentially use to help fight those symptoms, I think I felt really valuable as on, you know, part of the team. So I appreciate this learning experience, but also 
it has taken a toll on a lot of healthcare members of staff when COVID was was reaching its peak because we were physically worn out and also mentally just seeing patients that we couldn't save. It really takes a toll on you. But when, you know, one of the tips I can say for anyone who is working in this COVID situation is, of course, it's easier said than done. Like, don't take your home, take, don't take your work home with you because you need to leave all that, like, mental, like, a negativity at work because you've done your best and you just need to come home and rest and next day just start again. And I'm sure it's very difficult to actually not take it home, especially when day after day yeah. you're dealing with a situation that doesn't seem like it was getting better um, yeah. at the time. And even in recently in the recent months uh, in mm. the UK, it didn't look very good either. Um, yeah. But in terms of just not taking it home, what would you do to mm. actually kind of, what would actually help you feel a little better when you're at home and you mm. have your own time? So, what I like to do, um, what I try and do actually is because I, I knew I was working on a COVID ward, so I couldn't I couldn't actually go on with my daily routines because of course I am staying with like um, family at home as well. So I'm, I'm living with Jay, my boyfriend and the sisters as well. So I know that it would affect my lifestyle. So I couldn't actually exercise anymore in the evenings because you know, when you come home straight away, you need to jump in the shower. So I wasn't going to jump in the shower, exercise and then jump in the shower again. Yeah, of course. So what I thought really helped me was uh, meditation. So one of the free apps that they gave um, NHS staff access was Headspace. Have you heard of Headspace? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it, I find that it's a very good meditation app because um, you don't actually have to spend hours on it. Like that five minutes just helps me clear my mind, you know, get me back on track to what I need to do at home. Just find things that's going to be a lot of um, positive self-love just I treated myself with like skincare and just having that time to myself just clearing my mind off my day because as you said like you know it's not healthy being bringing all this uh pressure and workload home so that's what I try to do and I also try and explore other hobbies that makes me happy like painting you know with the whole creative side of it cooking baking with the whole lockdown situation I I I'm I'm so grateful that I am living with people because I can't imagine living alone, especially when you're a healthcare worker and you come home to an empty house and you just you're you're just swallowed with that guilt if you can't save a patient and I think it's just not healthy. So having all those apps like Headspace and yoga as well, like being able to break yourself from that uh, negativity and also from that guilt, it just helps because you're able to clear your mind and start your day fresh again. So anything that helps make you happy, I would say do it because you deserve it, especially now in this pandemic. Yeah, and it's like um, in terms of meditation and, and yoga or just generally any form of mindfulness and trying to be as present as yes. possible. Um, did you do it before this or was it something that you took on because of this? So I heard of Headspace before COVID. And I started and break, and I broke off routine, but I realized, you know, with this whole COVID situation and we are just stuck at home with lockdown 1.0 or 2.0, I just yeah. feel that I had more time on my hands. So I decided to sit down and think, what can I do at home that's going to be productive? Because it doesn't have to be work. You don't have to be productive doing work. You can be productive doing 
hobbies that makes you happy. And I've seen that you've you've explored different um, platforms like podcasts, and you've grown your Instagram. You know things that make you happy. That's what I try to do. I try and sit down and think what I can do to help uh, make my life more interesting, and, and work best with the situation now. Yeah, and uh, I think I think the the good point about uh, work isn't the only thing productive. And of course, I think I, I talked about it in my mm. last episode about how. Well, I didn't. Mei Ying did, and she said, "You know, nearly anything can be productive, but you have to at yeah. least care about it, and it has to at least provide some value to your life." Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I think it, it has to provide something. It, it doesn't have to be what we a mainstream known value. It's just what can make you feel a little better at this very moment, and that's very productive. Yeah. It is absolutely productive to rest. It is productive to sit and do nothing. If that、yeah. moment helps you feel a little better, right? That's、yeah. if you always feel like you have to do something,、uh, it will get to most of us. Which I'm sure even you felt at、mm-hmm. some point. All of us, even、yeah. in uni, it's so easy to always feel like you need to do something. And yeah, you know. I I completely agree with、uh, what you said about well-being, because well-being also means mental and physical. So mental is the most important. Because when you're stuck at home. You can be staring at four walls, and if it helps you just clear your mind, that works. So, I completely agree with that. Yeah. And for anyone in healthcare and anyone studying, I think it's just if it's very hard to be there for other people if you've not learned、mm-hmm. how to be there for yourself. And I feel that in medical school,、mm-hmm. we are learning from time to time how to take care of ourselves, but there's still a huge gap、yeah. in providing resources to medical students and. Yeah, I can't imagine for any other healthcare student or anyone that's going into science in general,、um, mm-hmm. if you're gonna try to get the most out of yourself and be there for others, we need to teach people to do that early on. And yeah, yeah. But, I think self love self love isn't just a word. Like you really need to learn how to love yourself, love being present, like in what you're doing, enjoy what you're doing. That you mentioned, and yeah, you have to look after yourself before you start looking after others. And this situation now really taught me how to do that. And、um, do you think, in terms of whatever you've learned in the last few years working as a pharmacist,、um, mm-hmm. how many years have you been working for now? So I believe I started、um, right. So after university, there was. The pre-registration year, so it's also considered working, but it's just under supervision. So I would say I started working in twenty seventeen, August twenty seventeen. So it's been nearly so four about, years now. Yeah, nearly. And、um, and so you did four years of、uh, M Farm, which is your B. Well, it's a bachelor's and a master's, right?、Mm-hmm. It's four years,、yes. and you did it yeah, in UCL. It's an integrated. Yes, that's right. You did in UCL, okay, and so. Do you have any like general advice for anyone who is studying pharmacy or st- going to start? Just how they can actually get through it with a little、mm-hmm. more ease, or especially、okay. if they want to work in the NHS. I know it's a very、right. broad question, but if you have、mm-hmm. even the slightest piece of advice, yeah, definitely. Um, so what what advice that I can give um for future pharmacists or even any other healthcare professionals? You know what? I think healthcare it, in general, because you, you,、yeah. it's it's a mindset. It's also yeah, 
Yeah. So the first thing I can say is find that reason, find that one reason even on why you actually want to become a healthcare professional. Because it's, I'm, not, I'm going to say it now, it's not going to be easy in university or even when you start working because you're going to feel like, yeah, you made it and you've got a job. But you need to find that one reason why, why you decided to join this profession and this industry. Because I find that a lot of people break down halfway because they realize that one reason isn't strong enough to um, want to continue with their passion. And for me, it's job satisfaction. And I talked about this in my recent YouTube video about um, what I knew, what I wanted to know before I started working for the NHS. And the one reason I actually started working as a healthcare professional, not even as a pharmacist, you know, just in general, I wanted to be, be in this industry because I wanted to feel satisfied with the work that I'm doing. And I, I don't know whether it's the same for you, but I find that it's the same for a lot of healthcare professionals, Arun, that they wanted to help save lives, whether it's directly like a doctor or like indirectly, you know, behind the scenes, like pharmacists or even nurses, like knowing that that helps them feel better about themselves, make them sleep better at night, that they feel like they've done something despite that small difference that they've made. It means a lot to me. And that's one of the reasons that I joined the healthcare industry. And I feel that if anyone who decides want to come into this industry, they need to know why they're joining it. Because I don't know if you have a, um, a lot of experience in this, but with the whole Asian mentality, you know, in Malaysia, Singapore, you need to become a doctor or like um, a lawyer. It's just a lot of Asian mentality that you have to be high up in the ranks. And that's one of the professions that, and I think medicine is one of the professions that a lot of families like just because it rings better. <laughs> yeah. So for me, I, I never had that pressure, which thankfully um, is good because I chose pharmacy because I wanted that good work-life balance. I'm not saying that medicine um, is not going to give you that work-life balance, but I sort of explored in that area. And one of the advice I can give future pharmacists is definitely have experience have that work experience before you decide to become a pharmacist because you need to understand and be in the shoes of a pharmacist to know what it's actually like and properly have that time you know see what they do ask a lot of questions you need to know what their working hours are you need to know what they actually do you know if they need to do on calls on weekend ask anyone who, that you know is if you want to do pharmacy ask anyone who is a pharmacist so you can have better insight of what they actually do and try and think whether it's going to suit your lifestyle whether it's going to be something that you want to do down the line and i find that that was really helpful because it gave me more um reassurance that pharmacy was definitely something that i wanted to do and also you said um like how it's going to be easier in university i want to say firstly i'm not actually an a a star student and the first two years in university was definitely a struggle because I went into the degree not knowing what to expect. And I didn't actually take biology A-levels. So the first year was a struggle for me because they talked about biology like it was a whole new world for me. It wasn't completely new, but uh, I did like GCSE biology, but it's still A-levels sort of um, material. 
and it wasn't completely easy. So knowing what to expect, because by asking someone, you definitely get more insight on what degree entails. So I kind of wish that I did that before I jumped into it. But another advice I can say as well is that if you are in the degree and you feel like you're struggling and you can't go into any industry that you want to do, don't be put down by that because the whole time in my degree, I always thought I'm never good enough to become a hospital pharmacist. My clinical knowledge is subpar and I feel that I felt that I was never going to be good enough to be on the wards clinically screening drug charts. But I realized that actually university itself is a, it's a lot of exams and a lot of tests and assessments, but it builds a good base for what you need to know. But a lot of it I've actually learned on the job. And as I said, like you just need to know where to look for information and you need to be keen on learning because every day is a new day and the moment you stop wanting to learn is the moment you decide you've given up. Yeah. And I really think that it can be applicable to any other profession, healthcare or even any other profession. So if it's something that you want to do, gain experience and don't be put down by the results of your exams. Just make sure you know what your weaknesses are, work on it and constantly try to improve because no one's going to tell you that you're not good enough. It's only yourself that's being self-critical. And if you have the right mindset to push forwards, I believe everyone can do it. You've, co you've covered uh, so many layers that actually I would like to talk about. Uh, Sorry, so I went, I went so... a bit too long there. No, no, that's absolutely amazing because, I mean, I think a lot of it really has to do with, I mean, a few things about self-limiting beliefs, but I think knowing your purpose and uh, not not just your purpose, but because I think when you're eight, 17, 18 and you apply to university, telling people to understand their purpose and knowing the why might be a huge ask because I know at 18, I didn't have any idea what the, the, the bigger thing, like, I don't know what I, I was contributing. I think everyone, I can say 95% of the population feels that way because we didn't know what we're doing at 18 years old. We didn't know what we wanted to do. We were just going into any industry that maybe our families preferred or so. Yeah. And so I think, I think a good, I guess to, in, in my own opinion, a, a good way mm -hmm. to know the reason why you're doing something or whatever you're applying to, because um, what I guess I talk about it with medicine, but I think it applies to anyone else. Um, it's like, how do you want to contribute to society? And society can be at any level. So don't ever think that society has to be like a country or even a big part of your city. Like even your community, yeah. if you can, if you can visualize how you can help a small number of people, that's a good way to aim at something, right? Especially when you're younger, yes. uh, try to think of a small community that with your strengths, uh, you can actually provide something to. So even if you're a, mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't matter what you are. So uh, whether you want to go into nursing school or medical school, or yeah. you want to become a pharmacist or even a physiotherapist, like you just have to mm -hmm. think about the way the those type of people help yeah. others and then think, can you actually put yourself in their shoes and provide that value. I think that yes. would mean that way you actually find a little more reason to do it, I guess, because if you do it mm -hmm. for any other reason, like your parents 
or mm-hmm. uh, wanting to make money. Um, those yeah. are things that will not last for. I don't think they would. They for some people it's they very, might. I think it's but, very like short term goals. Would you say? I think so. I I because once you get there, it's like okay, like you make the money, but then mm-hmm. and then what? Like and then your parents are satisfied with what you've done, and then what? But are you so satisfied like, with yourself? Exactly. So, but then there will always be people who need you. So that's like a self-sustaining validation because I think mm-hmm. external validation is important, but it needs to be sustainable. So helping yeah. people is one of the most sustainable external validation loops possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, yeah, I think with healthcare, you just have to think of the bigger picture and be like, how do you fit in certain sections of your community? But um I think it, it one very important point also that you said is that uh, feeling like sort of like an imposter, like this is not who, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not the best or I this is not for me. How would you say you could get over this feeling of not being good enough? What What is it like so, after you've you found your reason, but you feel like mm-hmm. you're not good enough? Right. So I mentioned that myself, I'm always self-critical, whether it's in my personality, whether it's in my job or even like, the things I'm doing now, like social media. So I try and be very critical, but also not to a point where it's toxic to myself. And I think that's a very fine line to that. So knowing what you think you can do better in, and I try and constantly pick on that and think, okay, how I, I can improve on it. And I think I mentioned, I think you, I watched one of your videos about confidence as well, how confidence is a skill and you need to work on that daily. For me, confidence didn't come easily as well. So knowing that and like what you said in your video really resonated with me because I think it's something that I've learned along the way because it helped, it helped me realize that, you know, it's something that I can improve on and it's something that I can work on. So I took that principle and applied that to my work. So I thought, okay, if I'm not good in this specific specialty, like for example, cardiology, I'll read up on it there's always resources that you can use to read up on things that you don't know about. And if you don't do anything, as I said before, if you don't do anything, you've already stopped, you've given up. So knowing that you're not good enough and doing something about it is how I overcome it. But you can't always be in that loop of thinking that you're never good enough and you're not going to do anything about it. And you know, the cycle just continues and you're going to constantly feel low and toxic with the whole situation. So always make sure that you identify any factors that you can modify in your life. And if learning is one of them, then make sure you have the appropriate resources. Make sure you ask people because a lot of people are always more than happy to share in terms of their learning and what they can do that helped them. Like Arun, you mentioned a lot of self-help tips as well. So Anyone who's struggling, like definitely, like I'm open to anyone DMing me on like Instagram. I got a lot of DMs about like pharmacy. So I'm always happy to help. And I appreciate people asking because I wished I was brave enough to ask a pharmacist about what they did. So I had more insight before I started this career. But, you know, along the way, I actually, I'm happy with my role now and I liked it. But I wished, you know, before that, I wished I asked more questions. I wished I did more. But wishing from the past, you know, it's not going to make anything better. So just thinking down the line in the future, what I can do to help improve myself. And 
and um, I mean, I think you just touched on for for me the fourth episode in a row. Someone saying that they just need to focus on what they can control. So I'm just yeah. going to mention that again because it's the same thing yeah. over and over again. It's like if you focus on anything else, um, you can fall into a loop. But I'm yeah. not going to go into that because I've talked about it quite a lot of times. <laughs> um, but actually, I think what's really important and that you've already mentioned a few times is that now you're doing, you're working, you you studied, you you're working, and then I guess over mm-hmm. the last few years you've decided to also put some of the things you care about on i think you started on instagram or was it a blog yeah which one was it first? so i started on instagram first and then after that carried on to a blog as well so why did you just like a lot of us in in our generation who feel that um there's more that we can actually provide and there's something that we care about and let's share and um so why did you decide to create content on instagram okay. well um i'm just going to go back to the basis on why I started Instagram in the first place. Yeah. And it was just as a hobby, you know. It's like you as well as like anyone who started Instagram. They just wanted to post pictures about their life. And for me, I really enjoyed photography. I like posing for cameras. And I also like, you know, dressing up in nice clothes, taking pictures. And as I slowly grew my following, I mean, I don't really have a huge following, but, you know, as I had more followers, they started asking me things about pharmacy and then I realized, actually, this could be a platform that I could use to help a few people, whether it's about pharmacy or a positive mindset. I think it helps showing that sort of personal brand, would you say, like what I want to show people. And for me, I think it's very important. Like for me, I think that positive mindset and well-being is very important because I know how social media can be really um, toxic when you start comparing yourself with others. So I'm trying to push that across in the content that I'm creating. And for me, like I started creating content because I just wanted to help people. And it sounds like a very cliche answer because uh, it's, it's basically it's, it's what anyone, anyone can say. Yeah. 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 For yeah. me, I really, I really find that uh, with the experience that I've had, I think it can be valuable information to someone else who's just starting off. And that's why you're doing it as well. That's why people who are creating content is doing it as well. And yeah. there's nothing special, but for me, knowing that I've helped the few people who are still following me and for them to see my journey from starting as a university student to now being like a pharmacist, it makes them, I think that the image that I'm trying to portray, it helps them um, give that motivation for them to you know, maybe go along the lines of that journey see what I've done right and work on that as well. So then they can achieve being a hospital pharmacist status. But if not, it's also just trying to portray that positive and um, positive well-being. And I, I think I carried on. Yeah. No, sorry. No, I first say, I just want to say that it is special. I think you mentioned that it's not so special, but it is special that you put in the work to do this. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what your following is to me and to mm, exactly. anyone it's like you just have to help one other person we don't need to keep looking at everyone and be like i i, I i'm only successful if i help ten thousand people like you're successful yeah. whenever you decide you're successful exactly so it, it's a it is a very toxic environment for a lot of people when they start off with social media especially on instagram mm-hmm. 
That's not true. Not especially on Instagram. I think it doesn't matter what it is. Like, like you, any, you can always any get, social media platform. Any social media platform, even in real life, like even before our parents and their parents had their own toxic traditional yeah. social things that they dealt with. It's not a social media our generation. It's just that now it's a bit like the loop is much faster. Like you, you have to interact with people. No, you, you, you are, you are in front of everyone constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that maybe our parents were not. So no, I think it's really. I just wanted to 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 butt in and say that I think it's amazing that you are doing that, and I think it's quite cool that you've blended a few of the things you care about, and I think mm-hmm. that's one of the important things about creating a brand where you take a little bit of the. Let's say you say you like taking photos and you like uh, clothing and you like dressing up and you like this whole lifestyle vibe, but you've also added uh, the whole concept of pharmacy and healthcare to it. Because now yeah. it's 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 you're you're getting into a more deeper niche that people understand who mm-hmm. you are and they also understand why they should care. And yeah. I think that's pretty cool. Like thinking about it like that, adding it all together. Oh, thank you. No, I but... <laughs> I think that's that's great. And I think in terms of just doing that for a while, I guess you started on Instagram and then you started a blog as well. You decided to create, I think, yes. longer form content. Yeah. And to decide, was um, that when you decided to talk about pharmacy or was that still a lifestyle blog? It was, I started it initially as sort of a lifestyle blog, but just posting anything that I find might be helpful to readers. And um, I remember I had a few posts that was uh, gaining a lot of attention and that was relating to pharmacy. Then that made me realize that actually a lot of people out there who are starting as pharmacy students need that help and support. And it made me feel really good that I was able to provide that in terms of where they could look for the resources. You know, sometimes you just need those specific information, like where can I look for the resources? What can I use? I'm going to have my exams soon. What tips can you give? And I find that that's really helpful for students because uh, there's a lot of like platforms that like people use to spread the awareness of resources to use for pharmacy students because it is endless. Mm. Like we need question banks and when it comes to exams, like it's that one exam that de- determines whether we get registered as pharmacists. So I've been there and I understand the concern. And with that, my blog, I didn't initially start it as a pharmacy blog. And it was just to release any um, insight thoughts that I have. But it was also a personal blog for myself. So that in the future, when I look back, I can go through what I've written and realize that that's happened in that stage of my life and I just wanted to share it to people who want want to read it and who care and you're right like the following doesn't matter the number of reads doesn't matter number of views or likes it really doesn't matter because for me I just wanted to get it out there it was also a very uh, personal development process for me because I wanted to improve on my writing Mm. I also wanted to be efficient and effective in the things that I'm writing so, of course, I, I'm also doing a lot of things um, like working and doing a blog, Instagram. So I just wanted to make sure that I also had a good work-life balance and not late, not letting any social media platform take over my life. So I wanted to be, make sure that I could do it in a good and fast process as well. And yeah, that's that's pretty much why I started the blog. And I have been a bit like, I haven't released any content on my blog recently just because I realized that 
I wanted to take it to YouTube and I didn't mm. want to replicate any content that I was creating on my blog and on YouTube. And for me, it was still a joy to write any personal thoughts, but I also realized that writing it online and having it there is going to be permanent. So sometimes I also think about what I'm going to write and I think, okay, is that going to be a bit controversial? So I feel a bit like, I feel a bit concerned with what the public might think. And that comes to the point of the fear of judgment because I'm worried that my readers might feel um, that the topics that I'm talking about is a bit too sensitive and it's not the same as like putting it on video where, yeah, the things that we say is going to still be online forever, but writing it in words, I think, takes more toll and takes more effect down the line. So that's why I stopped writing, but it doesn't mean that I'm stopping the blog yet. I haven't actually decided. But that's just my thought process and why I've just taken it to YouTube, just because I feel that I personally love designing and creating content and having that fun creativity aspect of it really makes me happier. And yeah. with my blog, it was a bit more restricted to that sense. But I think I think it's a it's it's very it's a very important point that you are doing it for yourself. And mm -hmm. when you do it for yourself, it just makes it so much easier to uh, self-sustain because you know that, yeah. like you said, you're going to look back on it. It's just a public. It's like a public reflect a uh, public journal. If you think yeah. of it like that, then at least you know that when someone reads it, um, they gain. But if they don't, then whatever it is you gain and and i guess one thing i i would i would say is to probably possibly not stop writing because even if you were going to do youtube stuff you would still in my opinion uh maybe summarize the topic of the video and put it into your blog because then it yeah. still becomes a home for all your content so this is more maybe of a this is more mm. maybe a marketing thing than your own Thing. So it's more like just having your website and your no, SEO and stuff enough, yeah. and just all in one place. Because definitely when you go back, I mean, that's your little like online home. Your, yeah. your website hopefully will be there forever. But that's your, I don't know. that's your public diary. That's your public diary. And I think that's why it's important for all of us to buy uh, domain names and just mm. uh, whether you use it or not, it doesn't matter. But having a little home and putting up things that you care about that isn't too revealing, maybe you don't don't put everything up. Uh, just put yeah. the, the person that you want other people to see, put it up and yeah. But in terms of YouTube, like uh, tell me, I think the same thing that I would ask anyone, what kind of fears did you have uh, before? Like I'm sure that you've taken, you've thought about it for a while. I'm gonna guess, mm -hmm. you've thought about this for a while and you've now like overcome whatever that you were fearing before. Am I right or is that completely wrong? I would say it's partially right because okay. um, one of the things, no, like the most, like the most uh, crucial point was definitely the fear of judgment. And I'm sure, I don't know whether you still feel it because I feel like you have built that confidence level for yourself that um, maybe you won't feel it anymore. But for me, like I still feel constantly judged in the things that I'm doing and like the videos that I'm churning out. But um I think the fear of judgment it is quite apparent for anyone who is on social media because our life is publicly online, isn't it? And for me, like I would say like I've overcome sort of partially that fear, 
and I'm still working on it. That's why I wanted to start YouTube because well, before that, before YouTube even, I started doing inter videos, and for me, being in front of a camera isn't natural. Like for you and me speaking now, it's more natural than speaking in front of camera because I'm just looking at a lens, and it's not natural to me. And speaking in front of that camera just makes me more self-aware as I scroll back to the videos and just replaying it and deciding not to even post that content just because of yeah. the way I spoke, the way I looked, you know, everything. I got so self-critical that I'm like, you know, I was at one, one of the weekends before I even put up my first YouTube video, I was like, oh gosh, this is so bad. I'm not even going to put it up. And I took that good half an hour just to think about it, you know, what's the reason I wanted to start YouTube in the first place? And I realized it's actually one of the reasons I, actually for myself. A lot of it just sounds like it's for myself, but it has I to find be. that <laughs> it has I find to be for that there's a lot of there's a lot of progression, you know, personal progression and development, isn't it? Yeah, it has to be. So, if yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wanted to be better at speaking in front of camera. And I wanted to be better at creating things, like learning new skills, like editing videos, because I've learned how to edit photos now. Maybe the next step I could do is edit videos and I could like put that on YouTube. So I thought about it for a lot of months. And then I realized, you know, okay, that, that weekend I decided that I don't, I don't even want to touch YouTube. I went out and bought a microphone for the camera so I could record videos. And I bought a ring light as well, just for, you know, good lighting. Yeah, of course. So I thought, okay, you know what? That's going to be a good motivation. This video is bad now, but I can take another video that's going to be better because I picked up the flaws that I had and, you know, no one's going to be perfect online on video or on pictures. There's always going to be something wrong and someone's always going to pick that something that you didn't realize and, you know, just make you feel bad about it. But it's how you feel about yourself in the end that matters. And for me, I was happy with the first video I produced because I'm actually, I think I am more of the process kind of person. I relish in the process, the creative process, the designing process of it. So I'm actually looking forward to the upcoming months. So maybe in five months, I can look back at the first video that I've produced and in five months later, the video that I produced then and compare, you know, how far I've come with my editing how I spoke, my confidence level. And I think that's very important because you said like, it's so important to do it for yourself. And yeah, I'm doing it for others as well because I'm releasing content that's going to be helpful and useful that I think students might want to see. And of course, if I'm just doing it for them and not doing it for myself, then I'm not going to be happy producing what I'm doing now. So, and I think it really resonates along the lines of like what you mentioned as well. You have to do it for yourself because you are important. You need to make sure you are happy with yourself so that others are happy with you. Yeah, and I don't think, I'm sure it's not very clear to anyone that watched your first video that you might have felt that, felt that fear because I think your videos are generally very natural. And when I saw your photos and then you transitioned Thank to you. video, no, I thought that, I thought that the things you had to say required audio and video. Like your photos were just honestly not enough. Like 
that there was yeah. a there was a limit to how much you could have connected based on the things that you were saying. So I'm just really happy that you did do it. But there definitely is a lot of people that are not going to make the leap now, or maybe even never, mm-hmm. unfortunately, when they care about something. And and so there's always this fear that's kind of pushing through. But when you think about fear of judgment, mm-hmm. um, is it is there anything specific that like you're afraid of like is it just negativity or is there anything else i think i would say the main thing would be that i'm afraid of is negativity because you know one comment can just throw you off your horse and just make you feel bad about yourself but i realized that you know negativity is one thing but letting it affect you as well as another and sometimes you might think it's a negative comment, but it might be constructive criticism. Yeah. Someone might pick up something that you think that was perfect. And that's fine because then I know what I can work on and what I can improve on. So I'm I'm happy with people posting, like posting negative things or even disliking the video because it's fine if you dislike the video because I did it for myself and for the people who cared and liked it. So I wasn't like... like even in like the first few videos, I wasn't that concerned about people disliking the video, but it's more of the negative comments, like what they would have to say about my videos. And I was worried that it was something I couldn't change. But I also got a lot of like support from my circle of friends and family. So it was nice to see that I had that support. And uh, I also tried to ask for like honest, very, very honest feedback on how I can improve and feedback sometimes still affects me because you know we've put hours into our recording and making sure the lighting's right making sure everything's right but it's still Mm. not going to be enough so having felt like you've done if you've put hours into um, what you've put online and someone's still negatively reacting to it it does affect me sometimes but you know it's all a learning process and you said like in your first few um, podcasts as well, there were issues that you dealt with that you knew now what you could but what you could do better in. And it's yeah. all a learning process for us. And negativity yeah. is very subjective. It's how you take it. I think uh, it's, it, it is, for me, it has taken, like at this point, I nearly don't care. And, but this is a practice. That's great. That, that's that great. I, I re- and, no, but that's not that's not that's not really the the <laughs> thing is it is like you said it is a practice of everyday remembering having self belief mm-hmm. having uh, pushing away the self doubt remembering mm-hmm. why you do it. Actually, yeah. we've talked about a lot of these. Uh, remembering why you do it, helping other people. <laughs> After a while, like it, it becomes a it's a habit of of just not. Uh, realizing that there's nearly nothing anyone can say that can take away from your hard work because you put in your best. Yeah. Unless you believe you didn't. And then someone someone points it out and then you're like, ah, yeah, I didn't like, put ah, my best. They saw it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they saw it. So that is different. Like if they point out something that you believe you didn't do well in, then that's something that you have to work on. That That just means that it's not about them. It's the fact that you believe that you didn't try your hardest. Yeah, but that's on you. And if you put out a video and you've tried your absolute best, and you took twenty, thirty hours to do it, then 
then yeah, that that's the thing. And I and I was talking to someone and I was saying that there's some of the most amazing people and videos on YouTube that still get dislikes. Like, who do you think you are to feel like you don't want to get disliked? You will get dislikes. Like, it is what it is. There's some of the most amazing it things. It is what it is. Like, the most amazing people with the most insightful things that get it. So they get hate. So it's okay. It's it's just part of the love hate thing. Is just it's, it's it's a balance on its own. Um, but I think so. It's a, do you do you feel like you have a plan with YouTube? Because I think anyone that is uh, let's say someone who's working because you have a full time job. This is not you're not in uni anymore. So this is an extra yeah. piece of work that you have to do. Uh, do you feel like you have a plan with it? And and do you know where you want to take it in terms of uh, as a brand? Right. So before I even started YouTube, I I need to I needed to make sure that it was feasible to produce like weekly videos or even if and if I can't, I'll, I'll do two weekly videos just to be consistent with it and making content that I feel happy about and things that I think might be informative to others. So my plan firstly, before I started YouTube was go online, go on YouTube itself to see how successful YouTubers did it. And mm. I, the purpose of it wasn't to be a successful YouTuber, but it was more to understand the process of it, understand the platform, understand what they looked out for. Because I'm the kind, I get a bit obsessive when I start something new. I need to make sure that, you know, it's feasible, firstly, and it's something that I can do well in. Do well in not to produce like thousands of views, but more of doing well in a video that I'm going to be happy about. So I went online and I, I just watched videos about people talking about YouTube SEOs, like search engine optimizations and how they use tags. So I was like, okay, this is interesting because I used it in my blog as well. You know, search engine optimization, making sure Google can find you. So it wasn't new to me. So I thought, okay, this isn't something I needed to learn new. So I understood that. And then I thought about my life because now besides full-time working, I'm also doing a postgraduate diploma, which then needs mm. my time as well. Yeah. <laughs> which then needs my yeah. time as well for um, learning, reading, doing uh, coursework. And then I thought, you know what, it's, maybe Instagram might be enough because I have a blog as well that I haven't been um, consistently uploading stuff on. So maybe I could just continue that. Then I thought, actually, it's not that, it doesn't take that long to film a video. And I knew initially, like being rational about it all, I knew initially it's going to take hours because I'm not used to speaking in front of camera. I'm not used to editing on a new um, software that I have never used before. So I thought, okay, it's going to be a new learning skill. That's great because I'm, I'm always up for learning. If it's going to be a new skill that's going to be fun, yeah, I'm going to do it. So I took the hours on the four days that I was off on annual leave, the whole four days, I learned how to use Adobe Premiere Pro. Mm. Even the simple things like using fonts, I was, at one point I remember I was so frustrated. I was like, this took me six hours just to learn how to make the fonts jiggle in a way that I wanted it to. Yeah, I was so frustrated, but at the end I was like, okay, great. I finally learned where to download fonts. I finally learned how to use this next video is going to be faster and then i took it as a positive process because i'm thinking first few videos is going to take ages but as i went along 
it got easier and easier and easier. And then I realized, you know, YouTube can be for me. I have so much on my plate, but it's also knowing how you can split up your time, making sure that social media platforms don't take up a whole lot of your time, but also that you're able to do your best in such a short amount of time, being efficient with what you're doing. You can definitely fit YouTube in. So that's why I went for it. And my plan was just to release videos every week. And the first few the first few videos actually got me a little a little bit stressed because things that were editing wasn't to my liking and I was thinking about how I could produce the next video and the next video. And at one point I was just thinking this is getting a bit toxic because I don't want to produce content just for the sake of producing content. And that's why I did my third video on like fashion lifestyle and just talking over it because it was easy to film. It was something that I enjoyed and it was really fun to edit. And it just, it, it actually fun. just took like, it was really like, fun it just looked like, like, it looked like you were really enjoying it. No, it looked like you were really enjoying it. And yeah. And it was obviously the uh, most fun I had in filming my first three videos because, you know, with the change of outfits. So I thought I could incorporate this to my future videos because it didn't take a lot of effort, but I had fun with the process. And I wanted that, I wanted YouTube to be that for me. So, I gave myself deadlines, sort of virtual deadlines to do weekly videos. But I also realized that sometimes on the weekends I'm working. And then I realized, okay, maybe let's think about this practically. If I can't do weekly videos, it's not like the people who subscribe to my channel will be like, oh, I'm not going to subscribe to her anymore because she's not producing weekly videos. Yeah. I mean, this is for myself and it's also for the people who want to know more about me. And if yeah. I can't produce weekly videos, it's just making sure that I can still fit YouTube into my life and make it more feasible and sustainable because it's going to be something that I want to be doing for a long term, like you as well, Arun. So you want to make sure it fits into your life, but it doesn't affect your life too much. Yeah, absolutely. And I think being realistic and again, you're, you're, you're hitting on focusing on what you can control, which is actually just... Mm -hmm. It's not about where the brand is going, but it's like you fo you can focus on trying to learn something new and you can focus on putting something out every week or not. But yeah. you're the one that decides that. No one else decides that. And I think it's yeah. quite nice that you have, even within three, just three videos, right? You've decided, you've already seen that you are maybe better off making videos that you find creative because that also mm -hmm. motivates you to keep making videos. Because if you fall yeah. into the trap of creating what you think people want to see, uh, mm. you you might burn out much quicker. And in the long term, uh, yeah, you made all these nice videos at the beginning that attracted people in. But you're trying but you're to build something. you're not going to enjoy the process after that. Yeah, it's not going to last for very long. So then what's yeah. the point? But uh, that's up to anyone, whatever they want to do. But I think it's mm. quite amazing that you know, you're learning it this quickly. And I think for anyone that wanting to start with YouTube, I don't have a lot of advice. And that's why I think, you know, talking to people to understand their own thoughts is, is a really good way to mm -hmm. just figure out what you need to do. And even if you're like yeah. looking at other YouTubers who have done well, or look at medium YouTubers who are on their way up, 
Uh, I think it's good to emulate their habits and their work ethic as opposed to their personality and things like that. Like understand yeah. how they're structured or storytelling. Um, exactly. You know, how they get people to, yeah. So don't try to be them, but try to mm-hmm. understand what kind of habits do they engage in that you could also engage in. I think that's the the that's the way to not get into the toxic comparison of that YouTuber. It just grew so quickly. I feel like I could do that. Yes, you mm. could maybe, but that's irrelevant. The point is to just do it and see where it goes. Yes. And uh, yeah. Because and you mentioned you... a very good point. Like we always compare and even on YouTube, we, we start comparing with other YouTubers who are doing better. But um, yeah, we started YouTube because we wanted to start our own like personal brand. Like, and we shouldn't actually try and be that successful YouTuber like that we shouldn't try and follow their niche because we have our own niches. Like you're a doctor, you're into physical and mental health. And I think that that's very important to always find your niche as well. Because your niches are going to be very different from like other YouTubers' niches. So knowing what works for you will help you grow an organic following, as they put it. Yeah, and you, I mean, I think you've created a very good niche. And I think the fact that you care about Helping people, you feel <laughs> cliche, but still very important. <laughs> uh, helping people, uh, creating a brand, and and doing really well at your job. I think for a lot of people, it's like you can do a lot of things at the same time, but you really have to prioritize, and you need to understand why you're doing it. And yeah. so, just to kind of wrap it up, um, what kind of uh, it's going to be a little, I guess this might be a d- difficult question, but I'm going to give you a few, a little bit of time to answer it. But <laughs> what kind of like general life advice would you give to other people in their 20s? Just the, what, what would be your top <laughs> of the list life okay, advice top, for someone in their 20s? Top of the or, list. Well, we actually, I, actually, I feel like we've already touched a lot on this. So yeah. top of the list, I would say is, self-love because as i said as we said mental well-being like self-love and positive mental well-being because you need to have a positive mindset and try and incorporate that into your daily lives because you can be working so hard like in their 20s they're going to be doing exams university trying to be active on i don't know social media or even not just being active in their life just have a positive mindset in whatever you're doing and always have self-reflection but not to a point where it's negative be self-critical and know and look at the points where you can improve on whether it's personality traits or anything that you're not happy with about yourself if it's something you can change work on it because if you don't work on it you're not going to change anything and to have that positive mindset you know sometimes just take a step back and look at yourself or even t- speak to the people who are closest to you and who you can trust and ask them what they think you could change about yourself. And if it's something that's doable, if it's something relating to your confidence or if it's the way you spoke or the way you're doing things online, I don't know, anything. Just ask someone th- for their honest opinion Maybe take it with a pinch of salt. Maybe that person might not like you that much. They might give you something negative. But always listen to what others have to say about you. And 
if it's something you think you can change and it's something that you agree with, then change it. Because at my 20s, I felt that I was a complete introvert and I wasn't really good in speaking. And the one person that really pushed me was, of course, Jay, my boyfriend. Like, he he was always the, like, the light of the party and he would speak so well and converse so well with everyone around him. And I thought, you know, I wanted to be like that. Not be like him, but be a better version of myself. And I knew I could improve on that. So anytime I had a chance to, I would speak to someone, you know, break out of my comfort zone. I don't know whether I seem like an introvert now, but previously, honestly, I was. And I was afraid to speak to people. And it sounds like a very uh, negligible fear because, you know, why would you be afraid to speak to people? They're just people. But for me, I just, I was worried about how um, others would see me, how they would judge in the way I was speaking. So I just didn't enjoy speaking to strangers. But as, as you go along the way, you know, you find things that you can improve on. And at my 20s, that, what, that was what I worked on. And now I'm happier now because I realized, yeah, I found something that I was unhappy about and I fixed it. And for anyone who's in their 20s, you can do the same. Find out what you want to change about yourself. It doesn't have to be physical. Like, honestly, anything that's physical, if you can't change about yourself, like, don't do it. Be happy in your own skin. But if it's yeah. anything that's personality traits, your work habits, if you've been gaming a lot and you don't feel productive, I don't know, anything, you know, apply it to any aspect of your life. You can change it as long as you set your mind to it. That's why I said like positive mindset and well-being is so important because you need to know your value and you need to know that you need to be happy with yourself. That's it. That's the, that was very good. Off the cuff, that was very good. <laughs> no, I have nothing to add because that was that was absolutely great. So thank you for your time. I really Thanks, appreciate Aaron, it. Thanks, for I, having I, me. I, I hope, I hope, I'm sure everyone, somebody, definitely one person found this useful, and that's all that matters. Yeah, and that's all I found that it useful, and I'm that one person. So hopefully, there's one other. Hopefully, there's one other person. So thank you so much, and uh, but thank you for um, inviting me to this podcast. I would, like honestly this was I thought I would um I thought it would be difficult to speak to like not to speak to you for a long time but to speak for an hour straight but this is a good experience and I really appreciate it yeah it's good to know it's good to know that at least you feel comfortable because it makes things a bit easier but uh yeah really easy so thank you and I'll see you later